So last week, we started a series on Romans. We got through Romans chapter 1, verse 1. I'm a little more ambitious today. Um, actually, we got through the first phrase of Romans 1. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus. So this message is addressed to you, fellow bondservants, because that's what a Christian is, a bondservant. There aren't Christians that aren't bondservants. Change your theology. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Christ Jesus. To all those in Rome and at GCF and in all the world who are loved by God and called to be saints, loved by God, day in and day out, and called to be saints, which is the work of God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a good word. This is a hope-filled word. Today's message is entitled, The Gospel, It's All About Jesus. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. And our main point today is that the gospel is about God, not me or heaven. The gospel is about us belonging to the son of David, who in fulfillment of the prophecies about him beforehand in the Holy Scriptures is bringing in a new kind of righteousness. Is it my righteousness? It's his righteousness. He's bringing, he has come, he's coming, and he's come with his own righteousness, which is enough for all of us and enough for all of our sin. He's coming with a new kind of righteousness and his reign of peace in all the earth. The gospel is about him. The gospel is about being loved by him. The gospel is about our king and his reign over us, fellow bondservants. And through us in all the earth, until all creation and even death itself bends the knee to King Jesus. Amen. The gospel is that we belong to that king and that we are no longer strangers and aliens, but members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Amen. Paul, a servant 
a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. In our first message, we talked about how he was set apart. That's what Pharisee means. He was a Pharisee. He was all about his own legalistic self-righteousness. He was all about being that guy that could do what nobody else could do and to be so holy himself that it would somehow invite the Lord back to Israel who was far from God, right? That's what a Pharisee was. But in his self-confidence, in his confidence in his, his own body, his own flesh's ability to, to keep pure and to attain to perfection or get close enough to it, right, that he would become pleasing to the Lord, which is, we're going to find out today, the ungospel. The gospel is that we who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and that light is Christ. And he has drawn near to us while we were yet sinners. He himself became our peace, dying for us on the cross. So Paul used to be a Pharisee set apart. Now, he says, I'm set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel of God was promised beforehand. If we're doing the slides, uh, please make sure it's on verse 2. Oh, thank you so much. That's perfect. Which he promised beforehand. The gospel of God is all about God. It's not the gospel of here's how you get to heaven. It's the gospel of God. God is the gospel. Jesus Christ embodies the gospel. And when we, like limbs, arms and legs connected to the head so that we're all one holy body, when we are connected to him, then we join in his life and we become part of that life which is the light of mankind. The gospel of God, verse 1, is called the gospel of God because God is, Jesus is the embodiment of the gospel and you are part of that body. That's the good news. It is promised beforehand. This was pre-planned. It was no accident. It was no plan B. God, who sovereignly worketh all things according to the counsel of his will, from Adam to the end of time, until all things are brought together under one head, even Christ. God saw the end when it was still the beginning, and he unfolded his mysterious plan. And today we're going to talk much about how mysterious this plan has been. We're going to look deeply at the son of David in uh, verse 3. It's very small print. Verse 3. Um, this was promised beforehand. It was planned. This was not a new religion, but the fulfillment of an old one. If you go on Google and look up matters of religion and Christianity in the Bible, you will almost always find a wrong answer. I often do, and sometimes I just shake my head and almost cry, and then I just got to close the webpage because it's so bad. So, you know, you Google, like, what's the oldest religion? And I think you come up with something like Hinduism. Brothers and sisters in India, listening now, is Hinduism the oldest religion? No. 
the oldest religion is God, who he was eternally existent in three persons, and that is the beginning of true religion. And then he created mankind and breathed the breath of life into Adam's lungs. And from Adam, through Seth, and that godly family line, true religion was carried down until the days of Noah, through Abraham, on through uh, the prophets and apostles, the, the prophets and the faithful kings, before them the judges, and all those in the nation of Israel who remained faithful even though most didn't. And Israel, which should have been a holy nation, didn't look very holy and things didn't look very good. We're going to look at this. The gospel concerns his son, who was descended from David. If you were Jewish and you were reading this letter for the first time when uh, it first arrived in Rome from Paul's pen to the church there, when you read, who was descended from David, that would have been a powerful statement. To us, it's just a little parenthetical phrase, but that was a statement like pregnant with power. This morning, um, we read one of a couple of scriptures. I'm gonna, we, got, uh, we, we abbreviated the scripture readings, and we read from, Jer Teresa read from Jeremiah. I'm going to read uh, our reading from the book of Samuel. Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 through 14 in the New American Standard. And um, you have to turn in your Bibles there. I'm sorry, I didn't get slides. First or second? Uh, first. It just says second, sorry. Second Samuel, thank you. Chapter 7, verse 1, verses 1 through 14 in the New American Standard. Now it came about when the king lived in his house. Which king? David. When the king lived in his house, this is something like roughly the year 1000 uh, BC, right? With the plus or minus a couple hundred years. And the, Lord, uh, and the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies that the king said to Nathan the prophet, see now, I live in a house of cedar, but the ark of God remains within the tent. Nathan said to the king, go, do all that is in your mind, for the Lord is with you. But in the same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, go and say to my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Should you build a house, for, build me a house for my dwelling? For I have not dwelt in a house since the day I brought up the sons of Israel from Egypt, even to this day. Rather, I have been moving about in a tent, that is, in a dwelling place. Wherever I have gone with all the sons of Israel, did I speak a word with one of the tribes of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why haven't you built me a house of cedar? Now then, this is what you shall say to my servant David. This is what the Lord of armies says. I myself took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be leader over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone and have eliminated all your enemies from you. I will also 
make a great name for you, like the name of the great, like the names of the great men who are on the earth. Who in the world hasn't heard of David? Very few people who have ever read a history book or had any Christian influence in their life at all. And I will establish a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again. Nor will malicious people oppress them any more as previously. Even from the day that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. So if you were Jewish in the year 900 BC, or the year 800 BC, or the year 700 BC, all the way up until the time of the birth of the incarnation of Christ, the incarnate Son of God, you would have read this in their equivalent of Sunday school. And you would have longed for that day when these sure promises given to David through the mouth of Nathan the prophet that we just read and will continue to read would be fully fulfilled. You would have longed for it because most of Israel's history was simply a time of great longing, of much suffering, of much oppression, and of much death. Nathan continued, the Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. When your days are finished and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you. This is where the term the son of David comes from in the Bible. I will raise up your descendant after you who will come from you and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. And when he does wrong, I will discipline him with a rod of men and with strokes of sons of mankind. David had a son who became king after him whose name was Solomon. Everybody thought Solomon was the son of David because David had a number of sons and daughters. Was Solomon the son of David? Yes. Yes? Yes. Does anybody say no? Partly. Solomon was partly the fulfillment of the son of David prophecy just given here. This prophecy could never pass away or be negated or incompletely fulfilled and just left at that. But it was an incredible disappointment to the people of Israel when Solomon's heart in his old age was led astray. Did he build a house for God? Yeah, he made a nice cedar house. It was the temple. And then, not too many years later, that house was destroyed when Babylon swept through and carried away the sons of Israel and took away their temple, destroying it with fire. And so, how was this ever going to be fulfilled because where was the house? Where, when, with the wood and the stone and the metal gone, what house did they have left? Well, there are two kinds of houses promised in this passage. One is a household and one is a house. 
Solomon built the house, and that passed away. The household didn't. Solomon was a son of David who, like many biblical prophecies, were partly fulfilled then, but it clearly wasn't fully fulfilled until Christ was manifested in the flesh as the ultimate fulfillment of the son of David prophecies in all the scripture. Let's read another one. Psalm 89. Psalm 89, verses 20 through 37. Psalm 89, reading from the New American Standard. I have found my servant David. With my holy oil I have anointed him. With whom my hand will be established, my arm also will strengthen him. The enemy will not deceive him, nor will the son of wickedness afflict him. Pause. Scrolling back to the second Samuel passage, I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. Was Solomon a son with his father of the Lord, partly? Uh, back in the second Samuel passage, when he does wrong, I will discipline him with a rod of men and with strokes of sons of mankind. Hmm. Um, Solomon's kingdom crumbled, and the enemies of Israel came. They came because God sent them in to chastise the people because of Solomon's evil and all of the evil that he did and the idolatry that he brought into the land. So Solomon didn't fulfill that one very well. Psalm 89, I have found my servant David. My arm also will strengthen him. Verse 22, the enemy will not deceive him like Solomon's heart was deceived. Nor will the son of wickedness afflict him, but I will crush his adversaries before him and strike those who hate him. My faithfulness and my favor will be with him. And in my name, his horn, that's like his, his strength, my, in my name, his horn will be exalted. I will also place his hand on the sea. In the Bible, the sea is often figurative languages, language for the other nations. I will place his hand on the sea. That's a ruling hand. That's a reigning hand. That's a king's hand. His dominion will spread, and his right hand on the rivers. He will call to me, you are my father, Abba, father. He will call to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. I will also make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. I will maintain my favor for him forever. And my covenant shall be confirmed to him. So I will establish his descendants forever and his throne as the days of heaven. How many days does heaven have? All of them, I guess. If his sons abandon my law and do not walk in my judgments, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their wrongdoing with the rod and their guilt with afflictions. But I will not withhold my favor from him, nor deal falsely in my faithfulness. 
I love that verse. I meditated on that verse last night. God does not deal falsely in his faithfulness. When I am faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Amen. I will not violate my covenant, nor will I alter the utterance of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. So Solomon passed away, the kingdom began to crumble, and and the line of David was cut off from ruling over Israel, which sounds like the sure and holy promises of David and the, the son of David who would rule forever didn't work out. There was grief before the light of dawn, as is often the case in the Christian life. His descendants shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon, and a witness in the sky is faithful. Thank you, Lord. Jeremiah 23.5, which Teresa read. Behold, the days are coming. Jeremiah prophesied um, in, I think, the 700s B.C. Um, during the time of, uh, uh, as, as, the, as the northern kingdom Israel and the southern kingdom Judah were being carried away in the 700s and in the 500s uh, to Assyria and then into Babylon, and there was a remnant left, a remnant left out in captivity. Uh, it was during those days, uh, about the days of the exile to Babylon that Jeremiah prophesied in the 500s. So that's 500 years from the sure and holy promises about this ever-reigning son of David, bringer of the kingdom of peace and bringer of righteousness that was given. 500 years, four or 500 years is a long time to wait. And the word of the Lord through the mouth of Jeremiah the prophet, Jeremiah 23, 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. Where does a branch come from? A tree trunk or the stalk of a vine. And the trunk or stalk or stem comes from what? The root. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And Isaiah, who prophesied at nearly the same time, Isaiah 11.10, in that day, the root of Jesse, what was David's dad's name? Jesse. So a branch comes from a root. In that day, this day that's coming, the root of Jesse, so this is a branch for David, so if you think of a genealogy as, you know, like your, your family tree, right? You got grandparents. We do it top down. We're going to do it. Flip that. We're going to do root to branch, right? So the descendants are the branches. And, um, and God's going to raise up this descendant, this branch. But here's, Dave, here's the descendant. Back up hundreds of years. Here's David. Then here's his dad, Jesse. 
and then Jesse has a root, right? Who is the root of Jesse? Isaiah gives this very confusing prophecy if you lived prophecy if you lived before the manifestation of the Son of God in the flesh. Isaiah says, in that day, the root of Jesse, so that's a person, so he's pre-existent before David's dad was born. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, like the, like the sun and the moon are a signal in the sky, shall stand as a signal of the peoples. Of him shall the nations inquire, think prayer, think waiting on for answers. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. So are Jeremiah and Isaiah talking about the same son of David? The mystery prophesied in the Holy Scriptures long beforehand was that all of these prophecies would be fulfilled in one person. People were waiting for a big, like a, like a hardcore, like a, like a bad dude, like the guy that could ride in like on his, I don't know, Harley wearing leather, you know, with his weapons in his hands, you know, kind of figuratively speaking, if you're a big movie watcher, there's a tough guy who rides in and nobody can stand against him. That's who they were waiting for at the time when the letter of Romans was getting ready to be written. They were waiting for somebody to come and throw off the shackles of Rome. They were waiting for the Lord of armies to bring armies and drive out the armies of Rome because they were being oppressed. We said, often we endure grief before the light of dawn. That is a pattern for the Christian life that is a pattern for the people of God. That is the pattern of the fulfillment of prophecy. And it's still being unfolded. And we are still groaning. In fact, all creation is groaning with terrible pain, like the pains of childbirth, awaiting for the children of God to be revealed. When Jesus came, the mystery hidden for long ages was revealed. That the prophecies of the ancestor or the root or the pre-existent one prior to the life of David's dad was one and the same. That has to be, that, that can't be a regular guy. You can't live that long. But they were looking for David's son, a man who was subject to weakness, but who would be stronger than any of us, not as strong as God, but who would come with the strength of God. But God showed, declared with power at the resurrection of Jesus Christ that Jesus himself fulfilled all the promises. He was indeed the son descended from David according to the flesh, for God, in his illimitable ability, came down from heaven. The Father sent the Son in the power of the Spirit, and the eternally preexistent Son of God, who existed before the worlds began, and who himself spoke the word of the world into existence and created the unfolding universe.
this eternal Jesus became, as we might say, small enough to fit in Mary's womb and be born as man. It's probably the greatest mystery in all of creation, except for the one that came shortly thereafter. Why would God subject himself to death? Why would God subject himself to tininess? Why would God subject himself to weakness? And how on earth did he do that? This was indeed mysterious. I wonder how he did that. God can do all things. I think that's the hardest thing that was ever done. But it was not hard for him to be raised from the dead. And when the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, that is, when Jesus, by the, his own power and by the power of an incorruptible life, raised from the dead, it became this gospel was declared, this good news that, that he is the root and the offspring of David. If you were reading this letter, sitting in a little congregation in Rome, and you read Paul's words, promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David, you'd be like, that's it, that's it. We found the son of David. Just like the blind men who were like, son of David, have mercy on us. They saw him quite clearly. But what happens in the next verse? Resurrection from the dead. Between the beginning of verse three, verse four, or between verse three and verse four, the revelation that the son of David has arrived and is doing all, is bringing about all that was promised in the prophets. He's bringing with him, and in fact, in his person, all of the hope, all of the promises of renewal and of life and of undoing of sin, and of finally the kingdom of heaven coming to earth in power that everybody had been waiting for. Then, all of a sudden, he dies. The disappointment of the death of Christ cannot be understated. All of their dreams of this conquering king throwing off the Romans were shattered, and they began to lose hope. Luke 24, for we had hoped. We had hoped that it was him, right? Walking on the road to Emmaus, the dejected disciples who didn't even recognize him. We had hoped. They had hoped that he was the Christ, the son of David. And then Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Their hearts burned within them. And they walked out into a Roman-dominated Mediterranean world with Roman soldiers and violence and oppression, with disease and death, and they brought the gospel of God with power. And the Holy Spirit anointed them, yea, the same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead, powerfully demonstrating that Jesus was the son, not just of man, 
but also the Son of God. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. Obedience always comes from faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And we're always trying to find out what pleases the Lord. As, as it says in the scripture, we always do what pleases him. Why? Because we're bond servants, we've been bought with a price. Obedience always comes from faith. But we walk by faith and not by sight. We do not yet see the fulfillment of these promises in totalizing form. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 13. Quoting the psalm, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. This is a prophecy of the son of David. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Chapter 2, verse 1. Bondservants, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by prophets and angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great Savior? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard this gospel that was proclaimed by the apostles. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. Nothing. This is the doctrine of the sovereignty of God that traces all through the book of Romans. I can't wait to get to Romans 9. At present, fellow bondservants who are longing and waiting in hope we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, 
in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Think completed or bringing in the completion of perfection. For he who sanctifies Jesus, the son of David, the son of God, and those who are sanctified, we who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, called to be saints, and those who are sanctified all have one source, or all are of one. That is why he is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Skipping down. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely as it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of David. We are branches. Our congregations are branches grafted in to this one tree, this one household that God built for David, founded or rooted in Jesus, with Jesus himself being a branch like us, one of many brothers. Praise the Lord. The humility, the meekness of the Son of God is awesome. He is most worthy to be praised. His wisdom cannot be described, and the depths of his wisdom cannot be plumbed. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That's us. Amen. Amen. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful. Skipping to verse 6. Christ is faithful over God's house, over his household as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in hope. This is the gospel delivered to us by the Apostle Paul. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear him will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. 
and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, and those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. Our main point today is that the gospel is about God, not me or heaven. The gospel is about us belonging to the son of David, who in fulfillment of the prophecies about him beforehand in the holy scriptures is bringing in a new kind of righteousness, his, and with him his reign of peace in all the earth. The gospel is about him. The gospel is about being loved by him and empowered by him to be his witnesses and to be transformed by his life so that we also become like him. The gospel is about our king and his reign over us and through us in all the earth until all creation and even death itself bends the knee to King Jesus. The gospel is that we belong to that king and that we are no longer strangers or aliens but members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the root, being the the foundation, being the cornerstone that upholds the whole house. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let us therefore put off the deeds of darkness and put on Christ who is our life. And when he appears in his fullness, for we now see him dimly, but then we will see him face to face. When we see him, we will become like him, for we also will appear with him in glory. Amen? Amen. Amen. Please come.